Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Ghostbusters Afterlife. The new feature in the Ghostbusters franchise from Sony is out. It's a bit of a reboot, a bit of a reimagining. We're excited to talk about it. We're also going to take a look at King Richard, uh, the new Warner Brothers feature starring Will Smith as Richard Williams, uh, the tennis coach and father of the up-and-coming Venus and Serena Williams. A bit of a sports biopic. Uh, Will Smith is pretty solid in it. Excited to tell you more. Uh, we're going to talk about Ridley Scott and some concerns he's had about the release of his recent film, The Last Duel, and why it hasn't been doing well in theaters. He might, he might, he's got some reasons. The he, Last Fool. Yeah, he did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and he's got some hot takes as to why his movie bombed, uh, so we're going to get into that. Before we get to all of it, of course, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Disney Plus Day is out. In fact, this happened last week, but we took the show off, so nobody, you know, we didn't report on it, but here we are to report on it now. Disney Plus Day is here. Andy, what 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 is Disney Plus Day? Well, Disney Plus Day was a day that Disney was, was supposed to announce a lot of new content for their streaming service, and which, which they did, and we'll get into the specifics, but they announced a huge, huge amount of content for the show, and this got so much buzz over the next few days that it, it, uh, you know, they've kind of created their own own holiday. Uh, we're probably going to see this every year. Uh, a lot of the big, some of the bigger announcements. Um, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to try to go through some of these because there's so many. Uh, we got to see a little bit of the Obi Wan Kenobi show, X Men '97, which is going to be kind of picking up where the kind of classic X-Men... 90s uh, X-Men show right. cartoon picked off. Uh, first look at Moon Knight, uh, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, Agatha, House of Harkness, Spider-Man Freshman Year. Most of these are live action or animated. Echo, Marvel Zombies, Ironheart, Secret Invasion, I Am Groot, What If Season 2. I mean, it just goes on and on and on uh, forever. So, I mean, they... Just announced a lot of stuff for Star Wars, Marvel, and some of their other properties. Yeah, they, they obviously had plenty of announcements regarding films in here. They had smaller stuff like Hocus Pocus 2, which actually I don't think is that small, but being a Disney Channel original movie sequel, uh, you know, not quite as large as you'd think. They also talked about films like Pinocchio, which is a new live-action uh, animated kind of meshed feature uh, coming from Robert Zemeckis uh, starring Tom Hanks, which is going to be exciting. And I don't know the kid who's playing Pinocchio, but, you know, young, young lad, I assume. Uh, they talked a little bit about Get Back, uh, the, the new Beatles feature coming from uh, Peter Jackson, uh, coming off of Lord of the Rings. A lot of really big stuff here. What's weird, like like Andy pointed out before we started the show, and is really worth highlighting here, is that like Disney Plus Day is not like a calendar holiday. They just kind of invented this. They just invented a day when they're just going to announce a bunch of stuff and everybody's going to get excited about it. And and while they didn't hit their like goals, Wall Street had projected from them of gaining 10 million subscribers that week. They get two million subscribe, 2.1 million subscribers to Disney Plus in one week, the week they announced Disney Plus. Like all this stuff, like that's that's bananas. They just generated two million subscribers out of, out of announcing a ton of stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy, and no studio is operating like this, right? They're the only people doing this. Yeah, I mean they they've had to be kind of innovative because they're trying to catch Netflix, um, and streaming services are all about those subscribers, and so they they hit on some good strategies for it. Yeah, a lot of exciting things here. I mean, uh, you're going to have to go <laughs> go reading and find out more. Uh, but if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, I think all good things. I think these are all positive. Enhan you know, they're enhancing the service you already pay for. 
Um, they may also be indicative of, of, you know, a couple dollar price increase next year. Who knows? But what it seems like is Disney is investing a whole lot into the infrastructure of Disney Plus. And that's a good thing, I think, for them. But something that may not be going so well for Disney is a smaller story we found this week. Uh, Marvel's Doctor Strange 2 is reportedly undergoing some significant reshoots. And this isn't that big of a story, but I, I just want to talk around it for a second because I actually think this movie might be really cool, potentially. Um, and, and, and I hope this isn't maybe a sign, a sign of things to come. Uh, so I, I shared this with Andy right before the show started. He, he's still probably reading through it. So I'll, I'll give you kind of the goods. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Sam Raimi is directing the new Dr. Strange film, Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. He's returning to superhero films after doing the original for three Spider-Man films starring Tobey Maguire. Sam Raimi is a very, very peak director. As far as horror is concerned, he is lately. His career has had some bumps, uh, ma- mainly with, uh, Oz, the great and powerful starring James, James Franco is the last film I remember him doing. So Sam Raimi's in a weird spot, but it's exciting that he's returning to comic book films. It's also exciting. He's doing a little bit of horror in this film. Uh, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness is written by the writer of Disney Plus's Loki series. So there's going to be a lot of lore here. There's going to be some creepy, kooky Sam Raimi, Doctor Strange stuff. I'm excited about all of that. But this story comes out that apparently Doctor Strange is going doing reshoots six days a week until the end of the year. Like the next, the, from when this came out at, at the beginning of November, uh, we're looking at, yeah, a month and a half, almost two months of solid reshoots. Apparently, some insiders have said that this isn't that bad, actually, that other Marvel films have had worse reshoot schedules. And Marvel films often have a lot of reshoots and a lot of post-production that they go back and redo and fix and tweak, even, even so, insofar as like to set up other Easter eggs for additional Marvel properties in the future, right? They shoot end credit scenes late, that kind of stuff. But this is weird. And, and I guess I'm, I'm reporting this because I'm hopeful about this film. And like, it bums me out that apparently it's having a lot of problems. Maybe there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but keep an eye out for Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And remember when it comes out that apparently there was a pretty bumpy end of the road stage to get it to wherever it is when we see it. And that's a little bit about behind the scenes in, 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 in the comic book movies. Andy, any thoughts? Sorry, I know I kind of sprung I, this on you. But I'm, I, uh, yeah. I mean, if usually when you hear about these kinds of reshoots, it's a pretty bad sign for a production. But Marvel is, is used to these. They kind of build, they build it in that they're probably going to have to do reshoots. Yeah. Um, it's very normal. And if there's anyone who could do reshoots and pull it off and not ruin the movie, it's probably Marvel. Yeah. And it's worth, you know, one more thing worth mentioning before I move on with it. Um, people have pointed out six, six days a week, shooting all day, six days a week for six weeks, right? Middle of November to end of December. That's like a whole other film. Like people, people film entire movies in that time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's just weird. So keep an eye on it when it comes out, you know, and, 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 and remind your friends when you're talking about this uh, Doctor Strange 2 uh, that you heard from your friends off script what the score was. Uh, one more story before we move into our actual review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, box office, Ghostbusters Afterlife is actually doing pretty well, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. Andy, Andy, you found this story. What do you know about it? Yeah, so Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to, or it was projected to come in at about 30 to 40 million, and it beat those odds at coming in at 44. Uh, so it's a hit. It's six, made 60 million globally, uh, so it's doing okay over, overseas. It's probably going to have some legs. It's definitely, 
it's a very positive o- open. I'm not sure what they're going to call a hit for this movie, but it's it's really good for Sony, who didn't have a good box office go uh, with the 2016 reboot they attempted. No. Uh, I've been interested in the box office for this movie because I didn't think it was going to do that well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I've talked about it on the show before. If you've listened, you know, probably. I, I'm a bit of an ardent Ghostbusters fan. Uh, and... and after the last attempt at rebo- rebooting Ghostbusters with a bunch of the SNL cast and and uh, Paul Feig, Paul Feig, uh, director of, uh, of a lot of like you know improv television stuff, that format didn't really work for it. And so this obviously it was much more narrative. This is this is directed by Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the first two features. Ivan Reitman was involved in production along with Dan Aykroyd. This was much more of a return to form for what Ghostbusters was going to be. But still, it's scary. They they tried to reboot it. It didn't really work. This was something different. This was something new. It seems like it's working, though. I, I'm surprised by the audience numbers. It says 57% of audiences typically for this film were male. That means almost half, almost half of, of the audience going to see this was female. And that's a far cry from the original Ghostbusters. The original Ghostbusters is not a movie that I think women are typically going to enjoy. It's a bunch of crass dudes, like, sitting around. Being uh, crass. Yeah, yeah, ta- yeah being cynical and, and being scientists and busting ghosts or whatever. Like, there's, there's, you know, horny jokes in it. Like, so Sony's clearly got something here. Like, they, they've clearly found something that kind of works. They've got a young cast. And, you know, depending on what happens in the film, uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Um you know, they, they, they might have some legs to continue doing more features. In the age of sequels, Andy, what do you think? they they got to be greenlighting another one, right? I mean, this is... I mean, yeah, this is absolutely the way that they're... It's set up for... This is franchise starter. So they're probably... We're probably going to hear an announcement within the month of... The, the follow-up the sequel <laughs> right yeah like warner brothers and dune like it'll they're, they're waiting but but it seems i mean almost all but a certainty looking at looking at numbers yeah. like this the thing uh, is so this yeah. was supposed to come out i mean about a year and a half ago and it was filmed you know probably a year or two before that um these kids are all gonna be so much older that's true and and i i know we're about to talk about the film and we don't really talk about spoilers on off scripts so no worries about that if you're looking forward to seeing the movie but um there is a scene uh involving dates in the film and and one of them mentions the date the year that the film is supposed to be taking place and they had to have changed it in post from 2020 to 2021 i was watching i was like this had to have been shifted like it's 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 an actual like technically a plot point in the film that they mention what year the events are happening and suddenly it's 2021 i was like no this is supposed to come out last year like i think that would have been think that would have been different but you know whatever um the point is good for Sony, like, and and hopefully good for Ghostbusters. Uh, you know, the direction they're going in could be good stuff. So let's get into it. I think that's probably the time, right? No better time than now. I'm gonna be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. Uh, the movie is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? So Ghostbusters Afterlife is the story of a small, struggling family who's just been evicted from their apartment in the big city and has to move out to a ramshackle old shack out in Oklahoma that their grandfather used to own. Their grandfather uh, was the crazy guy out, 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 out in this small town out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody ever talked to him. He didn't really, he kept to himself. But he's got a mysterious connection to the Ghostbusters in New York in 1984. And he has something to do with these constant earthquakes and rumblings that are happening under this town out in the middle of nowhere, where there's no fault lines and there's not a whole lot going on. 
the family is played by uh, Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, uh, her son, and I, McKenna Grace is her daughter. Uh, Paul Rudd also appears as a local seismologist who uh, helps the kids at summer school and, and you know, is, is here to figure out what those earthquakes are all about. And uh, somehow we got to involve proton packs and jumpsuits and, and, and all, the, all the tenants of the Ghostbusters from New York all the way out in Oklahoma in 2021. It's a tall order, uh, but Jason Reitman, uh, director of the film, is excited to do it. His father is Ivan Reitman, like I said in the news. Uh, he, he's obviously very tied to Ghostbusters. He was very excited to work with his dad on this project. So there's a lot of family involved in what's happening here. And ultimately, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think, is meant to be a bit more of a reimagining and a reboot uh, for what Ghostbusters originally was, whereas the previous 2016 feature was kind of just a reimagining in a totally different angle, right? It doesn't even take place. I don't think it takes place in the Ghost. I don't remember if it takes place in the Ghostbusters universe or not, but this one does. It's a direct follow-up to the previous two films. The movie is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Andy, what'd you think? So I think this film has some nice ideas. I think it's also got a lot of things that don't particularly work. It's definitely heavy, heavy nostalgia bait. At one point, I was, I was like, "This is the Force Awakens for Ghostbusters," you know, <laughs> yeah. the Ghostbusters Awaken. It, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it definitely has a lot of elements of things that are, you know, tr- that are throwbacks to the original film. And what I'm a little confused at is that, at the same time, it's introducing the film as if the audience has never seen a Ghostbuster before, doesn't know what a Ghostbuster is. There's all these really long sequences of like oh this is a ghost trap what's a ghost trap oh what's a proton pack you know what who were the ghostbusters and it's i mean it's like two-thirds of the film is slowly discovering what ghostbusters are and then the last third is just like it's almost like assuming you've seen the first one because there's tons of references and things pulled directly out so it's kind of it's a little all over the place but i i think it's a decent reboot. The the young girl uh, Phoebe, uh, played by McKenna Grace, I think she's excellent. She's kind of the the star, the main character, um, and they're they're setting up you know four people in this film to be the new Ghostbusters moving forward. I think the whatever film comes after this will probably be a lot better because everything's established and you can just go and bust ghosts. Uh, this spends so much time like discovering what the Ghostbusters were and are that you know you don't see ghosts until like half the film. Yeah. So, um, so I think it, I think it has some real pacing issues. I, I was really slow and I felt really bored through a lot of it, but it, it does have some nice ideas. So I think those are all pretty valid critiques. Uh, Andy is not as much a Ghostbusters fan as I am. Like I, I really, I really do adore those old films. Uh, and, and he's right. Like uh, this movie has to walk a fine line, right? You have to bring Ghostbusters to a new audience, but also pay tribute to what came before. It's far too easy to overdo that nowadays. Force Awakens is a brilliant example, right? Force Awakens, in a way, it, you never seen any of the previous Star Wars films, feels like a fresh new adventure. But if you've seen the previous ones, like it is hammering you with like, remember Tatooine? Remember this? Remember that? Like it's constant. And this film does unfortunately fall for some of those pitfalls, maybe too often. There are a lot of Ghostbusters tributes and throwbacks and callbacks. I'm like a hard Ghostbusters fan. I feel like I know a lot of Ghostbusters trivia and I was rolling my eyes at at seeing I was like, oh, come on. Like there's stuff that's so like just... And I know the Ghostbusters fans are dedicated. They, they, they're, there are Ghostbuster groups in different cities that like dress up and do birthday parties and stuff. Like that's a whole thing, man. You can go to Comic Con and find out more. Uh, 
but this movie, I think, spends a little too much time catering to them and not not enough time catering to new kids. But there's a lot well, that works here, and I'm well, excited to talk about it. Right, and I think one of the things that's frustrating to me, in, I mean, in the original Ghostbusters, you don't spend two-thirds of the movie f- figuring out what all their gear is. They just, you know, all the... Basically, I think this is more of an issue of, like, franchise yes. film. Franchising. I feel like I know where you're going, and I agree. Yeah, go ahead. So, in, in a franchise... or Sorry, in... Because I was remembered, reminded of things like Goonies or E.T. or some of these other films. You got to do get everything, all your exposition in Act One. You got to explain everything out one. But now that you can do like three, four, five films or something, you might spend a whole film doing it. And that's what I feel this is doing. This entire two hours is like Act One. Right. Uh, of a franchise. And yes. It's, that's it's, what's frustrating. It, it has the problem that it has the same problem that M. Night Shyamalan's old has. Everybody sitting in the theater knows the beach makes you old. Why does it take 45 minutes for the characters on screen to find out the beach makes you, beach makes you old? This is the same problem. The first 35, 45, I mean, maybe 45 minutes of the film, they're like, what's a Ghostbuster? And everybody in the theater is like, we all know. We're sitting in the theater because we all know what Ghostbusters are. Like, so... You're kind of you, it just feels like the film is dragging because it's it's yeah. racing to catch up with what everybody else sitting in that theater already knows. Obviously it was standing like kids or new people who are coming in, but it's marketed by Sony as, you know, Ghostbusters. After like it's 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 very clearly supposed to be like a follow-up for fans, right? And it's very much dedicated <laughs> that way. They know how 2016 went. They want it to be that. But man, like well, that, that, it's somehow the plot is not built that way. I don't understand yeah. how in the in the very first Ghostbusters again, you don't spend forty five minutes explaining what all the gear is and slowly going over it. Why do you feel you have to do that in this film? They just kind of like the lack of efficiency is is just is just pretty stark. It's um, it's true, and and unfortunately, that's a little lopsided because by the end of the film, um, similar to to I think original Ghostbusters, right? Like as the plot of each film, their gadgets get a little more complicated, and that happens here, right? Like by the end of the movie, we're not just working with like a proton pack; we have four proton packs, right? Like we kind of grow our technology as we fight larger ghosts. And it's lopsided because by the end of the movie, you're seeing like a, a ghost traps and stuff that's like nobody would know how this stuff works. If y'all don't understand at the beginning of the film what a proton pack is, how would you like it doesn't really equate. And that, that re- leads to some really logical fallacies and plot, yeah. plot holes. Yeah. yeah. But let's <laughs> let's try and talk about the, some of the positives. So, like I said, um Mechanic Grace is really good, if not maybe a little overpowered as this. She's kind of the child genius um, of the of the group. I mean, she's base. They've basically re- replaced the old men Ghostbusters with younger versions of those kind of same characters. Like yeah. Fe- Phoebe is is the brains of the of the group. Like Finn Wolfhard's going to be one person Pro- probably the peter vankman like yeah. the bachelor chasing a date kind of that seems to yeah be kinda we, his we role. meet yeah. a, a, a charming this is this was pretty funny actually a charming new character named podcast uh who walked <laughs> around with a microphone and headphones and is constantly interviewing people and is a shameless shadow of art of myself it that um, podcast is played by this this young actor who i don't know and he reads like it'd be the most obnoxious character in the world and that kid is so charming it kind of comes around and you're like he's not such a bad kid uh yeah like by an interesting character for sure kind of works honestly yeah yeah 
but um yeah he he definitely there's a bunch of podcast jokes and um kind of hurt a little bit as hit a little bit yeah, too close man. To they're 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 elbowing the fans in the ribs with yeah. that guy they're like podcasts for nerds right like people who watch ghostbusters yeah uh, so he he's good. Uh, Paul Rudd is you know charming. Paul Rudd. I feel the, the character of the mother uh, Carrie Coon is kind. Of, she, it's weirdly dark because it's the they're like being evicted. She can't like feed the kid. She's kind of a neglectful mom, and she's like an alcoholic. So uh, yeah, and it's like kind of played for laughs. And I was like, why did we write her like such a terrible mom? So I think I, I think I have a little bit of insight here. Um, part of part of go, the original Ghostbusters, uh, a big part of its humor was like this really dry, cynical wit and sarcasm. Like these guys are constantly throwing jabs at one another. They're sarcastic all the time. Like Ray and Egon, for the most part, take each other seriously, but Venkman is is constantly throwing one-liners and goofy jabs at characters, and everybody kind of takes it. Uh, that's that's hard to replicate. It's a bit of a lightning in the bottle situation, and that came from the time, right? It was the '80s, and the SNL cast was all on cocaine, and Bill Murray was a mess on set, and like you know, it's, it's just kind of it kind of formed organically. So I think to try to capture some of that tone and energy again in this film, uh, the family, our <laughs> our struggling family is a bit jaded and they're a bit cynical and they're kind of sarcastic to one another. Like Finn Wolfhard's 15 year old uh, character, you know, he talks back to his mom and she talks back to him. And yeah, she kind of comes off as this like a little mean, like bit of an alcoholic mom. And I think that's a swing at capturing a bit of like the, the Bill Murray devil may care energy a little like that was the vibe i was getting at least i was like i think script wise this is the that's that's the whole her character is supposed to be filling because she's not very positive but like she seems sincere and like ultimately seems to want to do the right thing but yeah she's kind of just like blows stuff off doesn't take anything real seriously like and then ultimately she's she's gotta i I mean it's really just an an excuse like this broken family is just an excuse to get, get out to oklahoma Right. And, 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 and scripting them as, as, as a little cynical, like gives you some opportunities for comedy, which are, which are decent. There's some, there's some decent lines in this movie. There's kind of some funny laughs. Uh, um, McKenna Grace's character, meanwhile, is like struggling to be social at school. So she has a bunch of like throwaway online jokes that are really atrociously bad. Um, Ultimately, the comedy kind of works, right? Like it's not going to be sarcastic Ghostbusters like it needed to be. It's a little new. It's a little fresh. I don't mind it. The action, meanwhile, is a little different. Uh, it's a bit more cinematic than I remember Ghostbusters being. Uh, lots of sweeping camera angles that Jason Reitman's bringing in, uh, you know, from from his experience directing. Andy, any, any thoughts on firing proton packs? I mean, yeah, I was gonna say the the effects are are top notch. Like you can tell that a lot of the budget went to effects by the. But when we start getting you know, getting the proton packs out, getting some ghosts going, chases like that. Uh, those those effects are actually done really well, and it kind of and it really ramps up uh, into the third act of the of the film. Yeah, um, I I, I <laughs> a lot of it's goofy, and 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 some of the newer effects are a little a little a little more glown up than I think they need to be. It's like you ran a proton pack through like the Yassify filter, like. Yeah. It, yeah, like it's just it's just a little too a little too rosy. I I remember those things being pretty clunky, right? They're 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 unlicensed nuclear accelerators, but um, t- 
top yeah top notch and lots of fun ultimately like as as an old fan like i i genuinely get a thrill out of watching like an old dusty ecto one tear it up through a cornfield for some reason i don't know why that's rad to me but like there's there's something about it that is just cool to see uh you know this old cadillac just flying down main street with somebody shooting a proton pack outside of it like that stuff's really neat the, the ghost busting solid. I think the script writing is pretty good, but I ultimately, yeah, I think the biggest pitfall of this film is struggling to, to find who exactly it's talking to. And, and that's a problem. <laughs> it doesn't break the movie. It's a fine film. Um, but it's just an issue. And I think you're right. I, I think a sequel, another shot at it would, would help iron that out a lot more. I mean, it would just be nice to get away from all this like nostalgia stuff and just like, can we write a new? I mean, like you have a built-in fan base. Just write a new story. No, because right. even even the the what I've seen pointed out is that even the twenty six version is a rehash of the first movie as well. There's and a lot of stuff is done shot for shot. It's not quite as obvious, mm. uh, but it's still like you know it, it's really leaning on that cr- crutch of like, well, I hope people still like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, Sony, Sony likes to do that, like with with, with a lot of their films. Like, they're going to be things that are safe. This is the studio that made the Emoji Movie, for God's sake. Like, they're going to make stuff that tests well. Like, if tar- if target audiences think it'll work, they're going to roll with it. So, looking at the money this movie's made, it seems like there will likely be another one. Um, I'm curious to see how much of this torch it picks up and runs with. You know, some parts of I think the new our our, our new cast work. Other parts are a little sidelined because the movie's so busy. <laughs> showing you all cool stuff from the old movies. Mm-hmm. So I hope I hope there's some more character in the next one. Um, but I think it's a strong direction. Any other thoughts or recommendations, Andy? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Ghostbusters Afterlife? I would recommend it to fans of the franchise because, like I said, there's a lot of nostalgia stuff in there. So if you're not familiar with it, you're probably going to be lost on a lot of it. Um, also, it, it is very family-friendly. If you're looking for something to see over the Thanksgiving holiday, take the kids. It's nice and safe. They got some jokes for adults thrown in there as well. This is clearly made with, you know, they want people to take take your kids and see it over Thanksgiving. Um, like I said, I, I think the, the second film, if you're not really Ghostbusters fans, I would say kind of save it for streaming and just wait for the second film, which I think will probably be a lot better because they've, they've kind of juiced all the all the or milk all the nostalgia Dude, that they can yeah. i can't imagine them continuing to do that yes it, it's you're you're absolutely right like in a way this does fall for some of the pitfalls of like force awakens at the same time it crams all the possible ghostbusters references i could think into one film and whereas force awakens did it kind of over three right they, they were like well we got the star wars trilogy we'll, we'll we'll drop little easter eggs here and there there's a lot in here but it's a good ride if you like the old ghostbusters movies like it's really not a bad time you could probably save for streaming unless you're real anxious to go see it but it's decent popcorn flick i didn't mind watching it i, I went in with pretty low expectations and i was surprised at how good i actually came out thinking it was so solid i think ghostbusters afterlife and if you haven't seen them um, please go do see the originals. They they are better, I think, than any of the other ones. Probably one being, the, yeah, the best one. That's the thing. I, right? if, if you're so nostalgic, just go watch the original movie. Yeah. Like, we like, don't need to it, remake it. Which, by the way, holds up great. If you haven't rewatched Ghostbusters in a while, go check out Ghostbusters again. It's a ton of fun. Uh, it's November. It's spooky time, right? Why not? It's October. Anyway, uh, now we've gotten through the hard part of the show for me, which was me covering the Ghostbusters review. Now we get to get to some fun, uh, a middle segment that we look forward to usually every week if we have something exciting to talk about. And this week is no less. Andy, you want to, uh, you going to give us the introduction here? 
It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about this article that just came out today uh, from Hollywood Reporter, which says uh, Ridley Scott pins the last duel bombing on apathetic uh, millennials. Um, Ridley Scott is blaming, and I got to find uh, the, the quote here. Uh, but he's basically saying it's it's uh, us millennials and their cell phones uh, are the reason people don't come out to see serious movies, didn't come out to see The Last Duel, uh, full, fulfilling the old man yells at cloud meme and the uh, am I out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong, both at the same time. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that this movie failed. Um, millennials and cell phones are not really the one. So Zach, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, this headline's hilarious. And the longer I look at it, the funnier it gets. Uh, I think it's a bit of old man yelling at clouds. Yeah. I like Ridley Scott. I do. Man's a talent. He's turned out some genuinely incredible films, like cinematic moments we would not get anywhere else. Incredible stuff. But dude, like, yeah, it is not millennials fault that they're on their cell phones all the time, not watching your period piece. Okay. (laughs) It's not... That's a little. Uh, that's a little irrelevant. So, so we should dig in. I haven't seen the film, and I have thoughts as to why this is bombed because the advertising has not worked on me. I was not interested in seeing this. Andy did see it, and and I think can probably offer some better perspective. So, Andy, let's let's dig in, man. Uh, why do you think this isn't working? Or have we gone over why all the reasons it probably isn't well, working yet? Okay, I mean, so, I, so one of the big reasons is October was packed. The this was the the weekend. There were like five weekends in October. You had Venom, Bond, James Bond, Halloween, Dune, Last Night in Soho. Yeah. Uh, so you had five big movies from big directors coming out all in one month. Yes. And you had uh, The Last Duel came out the same weekend or the week after Bond. So it, it competed against Halloween Kills and uh, No Time to Die. So you're not going to win that fight. Like, I don't care who you are. Yeah, uh, dude. Yeah. The right. other thing is that it didn't, it should have been a hybrid release. It should have been something that you could have streamed at home. It should have been a day and day date release. Um, and it, and it's a shame because I, I think it is a good movie. Uh, but it's also, it's also very difficult subject matter. I mean, it's dealing, dealing with a sexual assault of a, you know, woman in the in 14th century France. And it's, you know, it has some really graphic and, and tough scenes and it's, you know, it's a hard R film there's lots of violence because like the duel itself between the two men is is really graphic um so you're skewing at a way older audience you're competing against big franchise uh films like you were never going to win that battle yeah i I mean i mean first of all you're right it it is 100 percent a combination of of multiple things and it's Dude, it's so funny. I-, I wish I could see a video clip. I don't know if they filmed Mark Maron's podcast where, where Ridley Scott talked about this, but I wish I could see a video clip of him wearing headphones talking into like a speaker in Mark Maron's living room <laughs> about how people people spend too much time on their damn phones. Oh, like if I listen yeah. to Mark Maron's podcast, I would be listening on my phone when he said that to me. Like it's it's ridiculous. The the, the out of out of touchness is is too much. But you're right. Number one, you came out in the middle of October. After everybody's been stuck at home and and hopefully wants to get out and see movies, but people aren't really sure, right? There's there's still lots of places in the country, nay the world, where people aren't going to movie theaters. You, you came out when it, things are stacked right before November when it's only going to get more stacked. 
Yeah, and 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 you're you're in a unique place now where day and date has forced people to choose between watching something at home or going and paying the price of admission to see it at a theater. If people are going to go to see a movie, they're going to go see Avengers. They're going to go see something big. They're going to go see Spider-Man. Uh hopefully Doctor Strange when it comes out. Like a a character talking head period piece. And I know there's more there's more to it. I know there's more to it in the last duel. But they can't show that. Because then that would give away things in the trailer. They can only show so much combat. For the most part, it's going to be drama and it's going to be, you know, dramatic moments. And the trailer does a good job of showing that. But ultimately, it just felt a little milk toast. I was like, I just feel like, eh, you know, Ridley Scott's got another film coming out this year, House of Gucci. I'll probably go see that instead. That looks yeah. more interesting than this film. And like, I, I, I know he's frustrated because I hear this movie is, is awesome and I still haven't seen it. But I've heard nothing but good things about Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Uh but it's dude, also like total, total self-report blaming it on millennials. Like, yeah. I mean, on. it's, it's also, yeah. So it came out at a bad time, way too much competition and probably would have done better a month before in September or maybe sometime in the spring. It would have been, a, in my opinion, a good January release because you usually get really bad movies in January. So this would have been a perfect time to like scoop up every, everything. But I mean, I think they wanted to compete for awards and, and things as well. The other problem is that it ignores the ever-changing landscape of cinema and streaming, and streaming has made theater going a much more prestigious thing. Like, if I'm only going, or a lot of people have the thinking, they're only going out if it's a big tentpole, if it's Marvel, if it's Star Wars, or if it's something like Dune, just these big, really big movies, James Bond, uh, No Time to Die. Like, unless it's something like that, most people are like, I'm just going to watch it at home, and, you know, it's a great it's a great film it's a good film but it's not competing on that that level yeah and um that's a bummer like it's it's a bummer like i know ridley scott says here you know he's 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 the kind of director who doesn't uh doesn't 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 have any doesn't have one regret on any movie he's ever made nothing he learned very early on to be his own critic whatever he, he rambled for a while about it but it's frustrating it's frustrating that he feels this way because I think he's somebody who's got a real voice. I think he's somebody who, you know, a little like Steven Spielberg talking about streaming services being a waste of people's time. He's somebody who could be teaching new generations of filmmakers. Like he's somebody who can continue like to pull this medium forward and do really great things. Obviously he can do that at the box office, but like he could also change hearts and minds and like tell people, Hey, you know, <laughs> come see my movie or whatever. Maybe shift his view a little bit on why this happened. And also, Dude, Ridley Scott, I'm like, I think at least for some features, Ridley Scott needs to lean in the idea of day and date streaming. Come on. Like, I don't know about House of Gucci, but Last Duel, I think, would have done better. I think it would have done better. If had it yeah. been on something like HBO well, Max, I would have watched it. Like, I would have been able to recommend this to more people. Like, that stuff has value. That is cultural value. They should have sold it to Netflix, or they definitely should have sold it to a, a service. Um, the other thing is just the, the pandemic has proven that kind of, these dramas aimed at older audiences are just much harder. They were are hard, they're a harder sell than they were ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, people just don't come out for them. They don't they don't have to. They'll just I'll, I'll wait. Right. And, and I'm really looking forward to House of Gucci too. But I don't really know how that movie's going to do. Again, it's another it's another it's another complicated adult drama rated R. Everybody's and, doing accents. Yeah, like who knows? Yeah, it yeah, might work. And that that actually comes out tomorrow over Thanksgiving weekend and, and again you're competing now between Ghostbusters and Canto, the new Disney movie. Uh so it's like good luck. I I mean I hope people see it. I'm going to go see it, but it may also bomb. Yeah. Like I I think the last duel's in a fine place. Um you know, I I don't 
I think Ridley Scott's going to get over it. He's got another feature coming out right after this one. Uh, you know, I'm glad people like Marin are asking him what's what. You know, what do you think about this? That, that stuff's important. But, man, I, I'm just I'm bummed whenever I hear about, uh, like, a legacy director, somebody who's a real auteur, saying stuff that just feels out of touch. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly I get being sore. I get being sore about your movie going wrong, dude. But, like, oh, it hurts to hear. It really does. Hmm. Anyway. We should probably move on to our final uh, film of the evening. Andy's going to be taking the summary on this one. Uh, any other th- I, hold on. Any other thoughts on Ridley Scott? I feel like I cut you off. Um, no, other, other than, you know, you got to, like any business, you got to adjust to changing trends. And the pandemic has accelerated what was probably already coming in, in day and date streaming or just like closures of, of windows. Um, you know, it, it's like, what is it? Uh, Last night in Soho is already available to rent because it was a bomb. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if, if the last duel took that route um, either, but it is got a, like I said, they should have sold it to a streaming service and they, more people would have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but that's how it. Right. And like ultimately been. for, I think, I think there's a case to be made that, that in cases like this for films that are unique like this, that don't have great box office rejection, there's more cultural value in getting more eyes on your feature than there is trying to prove something by putting it out in theaters and then complaining when it doesn't work out. Like, I think that would have been better. Like, I think the last duel would probably get more attention, might get a little more Oscar buzz. Like if people were able to see it and I don't know if it's a particularly cinematic film, I haven't seen it, but Based on yeah, what I what I saw in the trailers, I thought ah, it's just other stuff to watch this month, you know, and that's a bummer. But I don't think it's I don't think it's Millennials' phone's fault. Yeah. With that, we should move on to our final film of the episode. I'm excited to talk about this one. Actually, I really am, uh, and, and I hope Andy's excited to talk about it too. Uh, Andy, please uh, take it away. King Richard. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call, said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? So this is the biopic of Richard Williams, uh, father of famed tennis stars Venus and Serena Williams. Um, it, it tells the story of them growing up in Compton, California, and struggling against uh, just this, the, strug- the obstacles there, financial problems to uh, get these girls coached uh, they have to find coaches they have to kind of survive this very tumultuous time in athletic stars life with you know with, while they're developing into being pros and, and tennis is particularly a very very young sport if you you can go pro as you know as young as like 14 15 uh you know d- depending and, and so it's it's navigating that it's navigating the money it's navigating this big family of like five six people and also dealing w- with the very kind of demanding and difficult personality that is and was um richard williams uh played by will smith uh, of course uh in this movie it's it's a little long <laughs> it's about two it's two and a half it's almost two, two and a half, half two hours. hours 25 right i think like oh, it's, it's a long. lot um it, it's got it's got some it's got a lot going for it i think it's got some issues too but that's what we're gonna get into zach what'd you think uh so i was a little skeptical of king richard going in uh if you've been listening to the show for a while you may remember way back when the first trailer came out i was like oof weak trailer why do i want to watch a movie about the guy 
around two famous tennis stars, right? Like, I, cool, I, he's their dad, and he inspired them and helped coach them, but, like, eh, come on, just kind of seems like a Will Smith vehicle, which is fine. I, I like Will Smith just fine. But then the next trailer came out, it was a little longer, and I was like, okay, hold on. Okay, this this one's framed a little differently. I can see this kind of relationship between the, the daughters and the dad more. I, okay, this isn't so bad. Then the third trailer came out, and I was like, okay, this actually looks decent. This, this this might be pretty good stuff. So I watched it on HBO Max. I didn't go to the theater and see it. Watched it at home. I went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife this weekend. Uh, that's what I was watching in theaters. Um, and I was surprised at how charming I thought this movie was. It's got it's it's got some pitfalls for sure. Uh, mainly in length and pacing, uh, but um, it's pretty solid. Will Smith, I mean, is is really good at roles like this, and his portrayal of Richard Williams is a little different than what he's done in the past, but it feels uniquely fresh. It feels great to see him back at it again, like, mo you know, mo moving some people to tears in the audience. Like, that's awesome. And the story of Venus and Serena Williams wasn't one I was actually familiar with. The girls that play them are tremendous. Like, I love the family in the film. They feel like they have a lot of great energy. I, I was surprisingly charmed by this feature, more so than I thought I would be. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Well, um... I have a lot of issues with, but where where should we start? That's okay. I like it's not perfect for sure. I mean, in 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 the inverse of Ghostbusters Afterlife, I was, I was like, well, here's all the problems, but I still thought it was okay. <laughs> this one's a bit more. I'm like, I think I think I like it, but it's got some issues. That's okay. Um, so I think probably first in our plot, right? Like uh, the the film picks up. What well, was shoot? What you you, you tell them? Yeah, we, right. Where, where are we headed? So right, we're in late eighties, uh, Compton, California. Uh, Richard Williams. They live in this, this small house, and like all four, five girls. They have five sisters. They are all sharing one room. Um, he, you know, he takes them. They train a lot. He he's been training them themselves. Uh, he ha he's he tries to find some famous. There are some really good tennis coaches to coach them for free because he cannot afford to. This doesn't really work initially, but th they kind of realize that they can't do this. It, like like Zach said, my my biggest problem with this movie is that I don't I don't care about Richard Williams. I don't care how inspiring he was. <laughs> a little bit, yes. Like it's like, a little, yeah. Uh, to me, it's really problematic that the story of these two really incredible, uh, t like sport changing tennis players, this movie. It's not about them. They're essentially in the background, and it's about their dad and their white coaches who helped get them there somehow. Uh, so, like, again, the, yeah. the inspiring story of two black women is somehow reduced to other people. <laughs> that's true. So I think that's, that's true. That's a good point. I, I, I don't have a lot of... I think it's a real problem. This, that, say, I mean, they are executive producers on this. this Venus and Serena Williams are producers on this, so, like, they did give it the green light. Um but uh, to me, that's not saying much. And like you said, it is a Will Smith vehicle, and he's basically the only character that has real parts. Like, the the entire family is just, like, they're all playing second fiddle. Even Venus and Serena Williams, they don't really have a whole lot of scenes. They, yeah. they don't even have scenes, like, by themselves. It's, like, always talking with their, their dad or always talking with their coaches. And then some of the other highlight roles, are the again, are, are given to the other coaches. Um so I, again somehow the movie is all about the wrong the wrong people and other problems to me is it, it's incredibly uh it just kind of hits a lot of sports cliches and i guess because we know that they that these girls are going to grow up and be successful worldwide phenomenons that like any any kind of obstacle or struggle 
they run into, like, you know, they're going to overcome because they have succeeded in real life. Right. So right. I, th- I think you have to kind of make this kind of movie about something else. Either it could have been like the bond between sisters or, or um, things like that. It also tries to bite it off more than it can chew. It starts to, it tries to take off some big issues involving race that are handled really like ham-fistedly. And yeah, uh, Zach, you take this from me. I've been talking too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. So, 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 first of all, first of all, a lot of good points in there. <laughs> like, a lot of good points. Some that I disagree with. Let, let, let me let me review. But but as far as the film goes, King Richard is is a. It, I mean, it's a bit of a Will Smith vehicle, and I'll tell you why. I tell you why I know it's a, a bit of a Will Smith vehicle because King Richard's original script was nominated. Actually, I think won some kind of annual list in 2018 uh, for really 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 good scripts that haven't been picked up by hollywood uh the king i i was reading about this in the imdb trivia which there's not much of uh yeah it was in feature it was featured in the 2018 blacklist the annual list of well-received but unproduced screenplays so this screenplay got pushed to the top of a listicle fundamentally uh of of good screenplays and somebody along the way saw it and thought hey this could be really neat now i know it's executive produced by venus and serena williams and obviously they've got a part of it maybe they had something to do with that i'm not sure but ultimately like the story of our lead king richard is that of the father who is will smith and he has most of the emotional weight lands on him in the film yeah like venus and serena williams are often reduced to on the tennis court or going to their rooms or studying for finals. And, and they do have some moments that are that are good stuff. Uh, and I'll get into that in a moment when we talk about the plot. Um, but yeah, on, on its face, I think this is, for the most part, a bit of a Will Smith vehicle. But that's not bad. <laughs> and I'll tell you why it's not bad. Because one, I like Will Smith. And I man, I think, I think the man can still put, turn out a good performance. There's some issues here. It's not perfect. Uh, and I, I was maybe expecting a bit more of an emotional... That, that's Climax the thing. Yeah, exactly. Then, for for an for an Oscar bait film, it's missing like the Oscar level drama. Yes, with with, with Oscar level length, mind you, two hours twenty five minutes is nothing to scoff at. Two hours twenty four, according to it's IMDb. like five acts. Yes, like so. I kept thinking this was all gonna build to something re- like a crescendo, man, that like tears you apart in your seat, and Will Smith's gonna cry, and like ten other people are gonna cry, and you're gonna fall apart. Like I kept waiting for that, and, and I may have overexpected that a little bit because something something comes in this film. There there is a moment uh, uh, that, that, that kind of washes over the characters and us in the audience that I think is really valid and really important. I think I think I think the love that this family portrays for one another is good. But it's it's a film in a weird time, right? Like they 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 point out that that Venus Williams is supposed to be like basically the first, you know, she's supposed to be a hero for for black black girls and black women and 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 black black culture all over America, like like appearing uh, in the in these giant tennis matches, right? Where where otherwise black women have never really appeared at that level, um, at least according to the film. I don't actually know tennis history. I'm going off what I was told, but. Uh, it's frustrating that like you take that and you make the film about somebody who is so obviously in the shadow of that. And and what's I think I think the, the story King Richard is trying to tell is about the man who was the spotlight for these girls until they outgrew him. And that's a big part of the plot. At some point in the film, King Richard Williams starts to realize like they're they're kind of on a track of their own and he doesn't have a lot of control anymore. And there's a lot of emotional core, emotional anguish in trying to find his place when it feels like he doesn't have much of a place anymore. Um, 
but you can't help watch that and not think like this should be about the the, the real champion. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Serena Williams. I'm pretty sure. It's that, weird. It's that, weird. It's a weird relationship. I'm pretty sure this movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Which is which which is pretty bad. Consider that's the funny thing. There are actually a lot of women in the film. They just don't ever talk to each other. Like I said, there's the five sisters and his and his wife. And the sisters are almost always corroborated with another. But but it's not like scripted. It's you just see them in the background giggling. They don't have a scene scenes just with themselves. You know, no, not really. Like, yeah. Um. The the other the other issue is like it's a sports movie and it doesn't really bring you into the sport. And that's the thing. Uh, it's almost like a, a good documentary will get you interested in whatever the subject matter is. Uh, and, and I feel like a good sports yeah. movie will kind kind of do that too, make you care, make you understand. So then I feel like the sport of tennis is very, very, I don't, I don't think level. there's ever a scene where they actually explain the rules of tennis. It's just assumed that the characters are hitting it back and forth. And then when one gets a penalty, they look frustrated and the other one looks. Pleased. Yeah. Like they have simplified the sport. Right. So it's, much. It, they just kind of visually portray it. Yeah. They don't, they don't give you the rules. Yeah. Well, not, and not just rules. I mean, even just like, explaining different kind of shots or explaining just like the, what you have to do as an athlete. You know, I was, I was uh, reminded of million dollar baby, which really gets into like the, into the weeds of what box, what makes a good boxing, a boxer, what good boxing is and like how you train and all that. And like, they didn't get into any of that. It's so surface level that it's just not interesting. Okay. Maybe, all right. Maybe some of those things are true, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I said, I, I I really I really felt like like the the emotional anguish of a father who has worked his whole life to build up his daughters and 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 kind of suddenly starting to find that like oh like I'm in their shadow and I don't there's not a lot I can do about that and I have to learn to accept that and like let them go out and kind of be themselves and and they have to learn to respond to that and engage with him that way too they they have to learn that they have a say you know and like that 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 stuff's really cool. But I wish, yeah, with the runtime, we'd spend a little more time, you know, behind the eyes of Venus and Serena Williams instead of keeping them, like, just kind of out of focus often. And and I think movies like this are important because it's important to try different things in the medium. And this one's definitely doing something different. But I could see why you feel like it's it's just a miss. Like, it just does not quite get where it needs to be going and ultimately lacks real weight because of that. That th- Those do seem like valid critiques from from what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> so yeah, Sorry. let's talk about our cast. Uh, I, I I think I think this film is very well acted. Uh, Will Smith is our Richard Williams. Uh, his wife is played by uh, Anj- Anjanu Ellis uh, as Orsine Williams. We got a couple of as Andy. Did you say? Did you say white savior coaches? Uh, I'm not sure. I caught. I think you. No, I did, I did say that, that. Yeah, their coaches are white. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> well, excuse me. I, I thought I. That's a bit of the. Anyway, we've we've got we've got two coaches who are experienced in the sport of tennis, uh, played by Tony Goldwyn and John Bernthal, uh, who are both good. John Bernthal actually is really good in this movie. He's doing an accent, and it's another example of a, a movie John Bernthal's good in that he probably won't get any more casting for. But you know, uh, and then we've got our girls, uh, Sonia Sidney and Demi Singleton as Venus and Serena Williams, respectively. They're a lot of fun. Um, they they do like Andy said. They kind of don't get the limelight i think their characters deserve i yeah. think that's intentional like with what the film's trying to do here but it, it does feel it does feel like a miss misguided I should yeah say. well and at one point we we lose one of the williams sisters because it basically focuses on Seri- on venus venus. Yes. venus who's the older one and who is going to turn pro first and we do get this thing where like uh it, it is it, there are some good lines in this uh where richard williams says 
Tavini says, you are going to be number one. And he says to his sister, but you're going to be one of the best that ever was, you know, and like, that's an inspiring thing. So we're not in, we're not missing this girl, but, but she basically is out of the picture. The other sister is out of the picture for like the last half of the film. Um, and so it's like, you started with the sisters and now you end up film with one. And it's just like, like I said, I, I know it's about the father, but I just don't understand why you would make this movie at all. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, like I said, it's weird. And I, and I think it, you know, it probably got made because, you know, it, it came at the top of the Will list. Smith so doesn't have obviously good. Will Smith, yeah. Will Smith needs a hit and I think he does. And I think there's a little bit of, of mutual emotion that comes through the screen. King Richard's, you know, Richard Williams feels like he needs a win, uh, in a weird way. It feels like we've seen Will Smith getting a long time since we've seen him getting a big win, like. <laughs> So you get a bit of uh, mutual respect, a la what Michael Keaton and Birdman, right? Uh, I I think it's that bad. I kind of liked it. You're right. You you make a lot of good critiques, um, but there's it's something fine. here. There, there's something there's something at, at the heart of this film that that, that tugged on a couple strings for me. Like, and it's it's hard to land on what exactly it is, but this is... I, I I think I like the idea of what this movie's supposed to be. <laughs> just an execution. It's just right. a bit of a. It's just a bit not there this feels yeah. like it's like these are this is an oscar movie for people who don't really watch oscar movies it's it's like it's like the member of the academy who's gonna watch it because will smith is in it but isn't gonna watch like lamb or the green knight yeah. you know like they're gonna watch the big names and it's gonna hit a lot of the beats and you know i'm sure he'll yeah. i'm sure he'll be nominated i hope so i i really think he's good in this i think everybody's good in this movie like for 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 a plot that might be a little a little misaligned i think i think the the, the actors on screen are doing a good job like they're, they're working hard and like it shows it's an important story and ultimately i think they bring the weight and gravitas to that like when it when we you know we, we start to get to this idea that venus williams is going to be a not just like a child tennis star or the best tennis star in the world she's about to be a hero to to literally billions of, of people like that's a big deal. And like, I think the movie really tries to put weight on it. It, it does kind of miss, uh, <laughs> but it, it's a stab at something. And, and I think it's admirable for that. So Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend King Richard? I would say save it for streaming, which it's available right now for streaming. Uh, there are some good things about it. Like it is, it is supposed to be an uplifting uh, kind of saccharine, uh, inspirational sports movies. Uh, it kind of is, like I said, the the fact that we already know that they're very successful kind of takes any any kind of gravitas out of it. You know, they're going to overcome any uh, obstacle. There's some kind of weird, ham, uh, poorly handled things when they try to take on uh, race or some other. There's this whole like kind of gang thing going on in Compton that they introduce and never really goes anywhere. Uh, but yeah. but Will Smith is is really good. I mean, he's definitely the 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 starring. V- the star of this this movie and he's given an, a really you know unique performance um and if, if you're a tennis fan you'll probably enjoy i am a, i do play play tennis um it wasn't exactly for me but uh so i would say uh, overall uh it's all right to save it for streaming well hold on that's why you're sore that the rules aren't in there you're you're a shameless tennis stan i forgot i forgot about that you rules. do play just, tennis just, okay just, well yeah that explains some nuance. no wonder you want some new ones yeah um, no, that's, that's fair. I, I am uniquely in the same boat. Uh, I think this is a great film to stream at home. You do not need to pay the price of admission to go see King Richard. Uh, while there are, there is a lot of exterior lighting, lots of outdoor shots, tennis courts, stuff like that. And not a lot of green screen, which is admirable nowadays. 
ultimately, like, I think, I think this tale is best served at home at your own pace. It's just a long movie and it's kind of slow sometimes, but I, I liked it. I really did. I, I would say, check it out. I don't think it's that bad. Like if you need something to kind of calm down and watch, it's different. Give it a shot. Yeah. It's not, it's not a perfect biopic, but if you kind of expect that going in, you, and you expect that King Richard is not a perfect person. Ultimately, I, I think there's something here that's redeemable. I do. So that's King Richard. And that's about our show. Uh, a quick announcement for next uh, next week, or what would be our show next week. Uh, a personal from me. I am moving. And it's really sudden. We had some family that just moved into town, and they need a place to stay. So we decided our lease is about up. We're going to do a quick upgrade. But this has all happened very quickly. Uh, so I'm going to be up in the air for the next two weeks, which hurts. I know, uh, but we are coming back with some strong stuff. Andy, what are we, re- what are we returning with? Well, there's a lot coming out, uh, next, next month, but, uh, the big one that, that we'll be doing is Steven Spielberg's West side story, which comes out on, uh, December 10th. Um, and in the meantime, there are some good upcoming things. Uh, house of Gucci opens tomorrow. Disney's Encanto opens tomorrow. Those are both theaters only, and Kanta will be on Disney Plus in, in about a month, just in time for Christmas. Uh, the Resident Evil movie, Welcome to Raccoon City, opens tomorrow. Uh, we mentioned West Side Story. Uh, the Nicole Kidman, uh, Javier Bardem, Lucille Ball biopic, being the Ricardos, comes out on December 10th. We also are looking forward to Spider-Man, No Way Home, Nightmare Alley, The Matrix Resurrections, uh, The Kingsman. There's a lot coming out uh, in late December. Yeah, a lot of good reviews to come. Not to mention, come January, I assume we're doing our top ten of the year, right? I mean, that's always a, that's right. Got to start pulling, pulling together them. Dude, what a what a year for a top ten! Like, finally, the movies are coming back, like in 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 the best way. You putting you putting? I don't remember. Tenant was this year, right? You put ten no, in your top ten. No, that was last year. That was last year. That, that did make your top. Dune, 10, right? Dune's going at the top. Oh, dude, Dune, Dune might be the top. That's, that's it's okay. Yeah, dude, dude, oh, Dune, Dune is really good. Dune is not on HBO Max anymore, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, went, went um, off yesterday. Left. Dude, Twitter. Yeah, my 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 little slice of Twitter was was hilarious about it. There were people like I started it last night and didn't finish it. Other people like I I marathoned it three times the day before it went off just so I could like have it fresh in my mind. Dude, people like Dune. I think Dune's got some staying power. Anyway. Yeah. I hope we have some staying power with you. <laughs> and you'll that's God, that's the worst segue I've ever done in the history of the show. I hope you subscribe to the show. That's what I'm saying. If you enjoyed watching Off Script, if you watched on Facebook where we stream the show each Tuesday, if you watched on YouTube where we archive it, if you listened on your iPhone, on one your on your favorite podcasting app, wherever you heard us, wherever you saw us, wherever you engaged with the show today, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would do it's a huge favor, do us a huge honor if you just subscribe. Just subscribe on your favorite platform, wherever you are. YouTube, you can subscribe. Facebook, you can follow us. All that stuff. Just, 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 just give us a follow. You listen to this whole thing. You kind of liked what we're doing. I think that's. I think that's fair. I think you might like us doing this again, and you should come back for more. We're on Facebook, like I said, where we stream the show each Tuesday. Uh, our archives are over there. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube to get our episodes. You can uh, check us out online at offscriptfilmreview.com, where our full episodes go up along with interviews. Uh, exciting things Andy's got going on on the media side. You can check us out uh, via correspondence. You can correspond with us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Andy, this is so clumsy. And uh, ultimately, we'd appreciate it if you, you know, just 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 checked out what we were doing and stuck around. Write into the show. Tell us what you think. And ultimately, uh, 
thanks for listening. And thanks for being a part of Offscript. I'm sorry I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks. We will come back in December. There's going to be some cool stuff coming to the movies. Subscribe today and stick around with us. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.